Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, and welcome to the Foreclosure Fix podcast. My name is DJ Alojo. I'm the host, and our goal here is to help one million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. Now, if that goal resonates with you, please do me a favor, like, subscribe, tell your friends, so we can help more people. We want to get the message out that there are options when you're in foreclosure. I am fired up about today's guest. It's one of my friends who I have known for a while, 16 years. It makes me feel a little old, but it is my good friend, Dr. Nikki Blacksmith. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I am good. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I had to bring Nikki on the podcast because she is definitely one of the smartest people I know. I affectionately call her a, a cool nerd but she knows a ton about the decision-making process. She has an extensive background and a PhD in industrial organizational psychology from George Washington University. And she actually did her postdoc work at the Army Research Institute for Social and Behavioral Sciences, where she studied the decision-making process for, for soldiers. So what more kind of important group of people that we can use to say, hey, let us get a better understanding of how people who may be in challenging situations or stressful situations make decisions. So today I'm excited to have her on and we're going to dive deep into what the decision making process looks like for folks who are experiencing a traumatic experience. And for those of you who don't know, sometimes foreclosure can be a very traumatic experience for the homeowner. And so Nikki, help us understand what goes on in the mind of someone when they have to make a difficult decision? Of course. So decisions are very complex. There's lots of reasons why someone might make a delayed decision. But good news is that there's been lots of research and some of it is mine. So I'm going to talk a little bit about it. But first, I want to break down three different reasons why or like explanations for delaying a decision. One is decision avoidance. So that's the typical like procrastination. Like you want to pretend that it's not happening. Therefore, you're not making a decision. I'm not going to talk about that one because that one's probably the least likely or reason for this particular, you know, delay of decisions. But there's also implementation delay. So you make a decision, but then you have a hard time actually going through and going forward with it. What I want to talk about today is decision inertia. That means that the people like are, are, trying to make a decision. They're not trying to avoid it. It's just really difficult and therefore it keeps getting delayed. And this is usually what's most common when it comes to making difficult decisions. I studied what we call least worst decisions, right? So there's people who have options and none of them are a good option or the best option. Both options suck. And therefore it's really difficult. You know, you have to choose which one is the least worst of the options that I have. And when this happens, this usually is impacted by decision inertia, which is essentially a maladaptive cognitive processing. So you're thinking about the decision and your commitment to an action, and it's just you ruminate on it and you think over and over again about, you know, what if, what will happen if we do that? You know, why can't we do this? It's just like you're constantly coming up with new options. You're thinking about the potential consequences and these types of decisions are usually characterized by uncertainty and unpredictable events. So you can't really say what's going to happen in the future. They're accompanied by a lot of risk. So they're pretty high stakes usually. These aren't just, you know, what am I going to have for lunch? 
there's a lot of ambiguous or incomplete information. So when people make decisions, they want, you know, usually we characterize good decision making by bringing in all the necessary information and then using that to make a decision. Well, in these cases, there's a lot of times you don't have all the information or the information that you have is very ambiguous. And also these kinds of situations are typically time bound. So you have to do it within a certain time frame, but the situation changes in its dynamic as it goes on. So it puts the person in a very, very difficult position where there's no very clear path to say, okay, option A will lead to this and option B will lead to that. And they can't not make a decision, right? Because if they don't, that usually is what's worse. So what happens is their brain just continuously like processes the information over and over again, and they can't really decide like what's the best choice of action here because all the actions that I have in front of me aren't that great. Nikki, that's that's very interesting because I think you perfectly describe somebody who is facing foreclosure, right? Out of the thousands of people who we've talked with and I've talked with in my career, one of the biggest things that they always tell me is that they want to do something and they they think they should do something, but they don't like the options presented to them. And what I mean by that is like, I want to keep my house. I like my house, right? I want to stay there, but I don't have the money to catch up my mortgage or to reinstate my mortgage or to even pay the monthly payment that I'm making, right? However, because of where I'm at in life, I don't want to file bankruptcy and I don't want to, you know, ruin my credit and, and go down that road. And then I also don't want to sell my house because I want to keep my house, right? And so they go back and forth between all these different options of what they could do or what they should do, and they end up doing nothing while the time clock just kind of ticks away and ticks away and ticks away. And so I didn't know it was called, you know, decision inertia. I just thought it was like, hey, you need to, you know, either get off the pot, piss or get off the pot, you know, that kind of whole thing. But at the, at the end of the day, that's the exact cycle we see a lot of homeowners in and a lot of borrowers in when they are trying to figure out what to do in that stressful foreclosure or pre-foreclosure situation. I think the key thing that you mentioned is that these aren't people that don't want to make a decision or trying to procrastinate. They know they have to do something. They want to do something. And it's the processing of the information that stops them, not necessarily like the, the desire to make a decision. They want to make a decision. They want to move forward. It's just really difficult with the information and the not great options in front of them. Absolutely. So you paint a picture of somebody who has to make a tough decision. They are not making that decision because they are ruminating or... Mm -hmm ideas and different scenarios are percolating in their brain, right? Yep. And so what steps, what things can someone do if they're in that situation and they have to make a decision? Like, help me break down or help me understand the process to make the most optimal decision or a better decision than just kind of not doing anything. So in the psychological literature, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you here. We think about this in multiple ways. When I was at the Army Research Institute, we just call it ARI because it's a, a mouthful, but I worked with a couple of my colleagues, Neil Shortland, who's actually in Massachusetts. He's This is his specialty, is decision inertia, but he focuses on emergency responders and military situations. What we wanted to do was look at soldier decision-making, right? Because what's happening is there's no known battlefield anymore. In the past, we used to say, okay, here's the territory. We can map it and see where the, the hills and the trees and, you know, where the 
you know, spots that we can hide. But now it's cyber war, you know, like everything is unknown. It's, it can happen anywhere and everywhere. And they want the soldiers to feel more empowered to make decisions. So we did a study where we gave the soldiers a situation where they had to make a decision and it was a least worst decision. Basically, neither option was good. So if you think about like just most simplistic thing would be they're, you know, in war, they want to, you know, they have an enemy and they're targeted. But if they go after this enemy, they will also, there will be negative consequences for the civilians. So they're trying to avoid that. But if they don't do it, then the enemy gets away. So that's like either way that both outcomes are bad. And so how do they make a decision? Well, there are two, if you think about people, everybody's a little bit different, right? And there are two types of, not two types of people, but two different like approaches to decision making. So one is the approach orientation. So people want to accomplish the goals. So in that case, the person would probably, you know, target the enemy and go after it. Whereas then there's the other person who is more avoidant. So they want to avoid any bad outcomes. So then they would go for the other options. So there's not one right like path or the way people do things, you have to take into consideration, like who is the person that's making that decision? And we actually manipulated status and power. And I think this is relevant because, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but when you're in the decision of a foreclosure, you're probably ahead of a family, you're making decisions for other people, you're accountable, and that puts added stress onto the situation. 100%. And so this is the same thing with the study that we did is that you would think that if they had more power, they would be more likely to it make the decision easier for them to make. But it actually makes it harder because they feel more accountable. They're, they have to think about the, how it's going to affect other people. And it just makes it, it adds more information in there to, for them to ruminate on. So one is just kind of like understanding yourself and, and your preferences and how you approach situations. The other part is more about like situation, like what can you do? You know, and, and in psychology, you always think about the person and the situation. That's I give you a little bit of information about the person, but now we think about the situation. A lot of times what happens is that these decisions, they lack concrete goals. So somebody might be approaching it and then just kind of like, I'm just going to try to do my best versus I'm going to try to accomplish X. So if people have more concrete goals, like what they're trying to do, like I want to, you know, make sure that we save X amount of money and put aside and, you know, that might help guide their, their decision. And these are terrible examples because I'm not super familiar with the, the no. process. The idea is get something attainable, like that you can measure a goal. Whereas if you just say like, I want to get out of this situation, that's very ambiguous. There's no direction to go in and it makes it harder to make a decision. So let me bring it home for, for our listeners as it pertains to their specific situation. So what Dr. Blacksmith is saying if you are in a situation of decision inertia where you know you're up against foreclosure and you know you have to make a decision, you have two types. You have the approach and you have the avoidance, right? So that's the person. But when you have a concrete goal, I think it helps you make your decision, right? And so if you're in foreclosure, there are two goals that you have to choose from. The goal one is to keep your house and the goal two is to sell your house, right? And so if you are in the mode where you don't know what you are going to do or what you want to do, the first thing you should do is make a decision between, yes, I want to keep my house or I want to let go of my house. Right. And so if you want to keep your house, well, that's a very different line of thinking. 
a different mode of execution, a different mode of operation, different outcomes. However, if you know that you want to get rid of your house and you don't want anything to do with it, that is, again, a very different mode. And so the first step is if you can make that decision between I want to keep my house or I want to get rid of my house, it puts you in a better position, a position of power to then say, okay, I can then make the next step. I can then get out of this stage of thinking and going back and forth on different ideas to now I can make a decision. And so I think that that's the other thing. One of the things that you said with the least worst situation, and, and I think a lot of times people who are in foreclosure do find themselves in a situation where they feel like it's a least worst decision because a lot of times they feel powerless and help, helpless, right? I've talked to tons of homeowners and work with homeowners where they say, I feel like I'm letting my family down. I feel like a failure. And so in addition to having to make a really crappy decision that you don't want to make, you also have this mental baggage of I'm letting down a lot of people who I care about, who depended on me, who I gave my word to. And so that is the other layer of complexity that I think is added. And how does that kind of play into that, that process as well? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was talking about when we have to think about, you know, it might just be a family, you know, a lot of people think about power when they think of organizations and, and politics and stuff. But when you have a family, you have power, right? Because you're making decisions for other people. Yeah. You're accountable. It might be a different type of power, but it's still power. And when you feel like you're accountable and your people are going to be judging your decision, it makes it more difficult, right? Because there's other people that you have to appease and, and make sure that, that it's best for them. And if it's a, a couple, let's say like husband and wife trying to make this decision, that even adds another layer of complexity because you have two people with equal level of power, hopefully, and they might not always have the same mental model or be on the same page about where it is they should go, which makes it harder then, right? Because then you have two people kind of going in different directions and there's tension or friction amongst the decision, but they don't really fully realize it because their mental model or the way they're thinking about it is different than the other person's and they just haven't discussed that. So they don't know that they're like on a different page. This happens all the time with my co-founder and I at work, like hmm. we're having a conversation and, you know, we use a word and I'm thinking this word means one thing. She's thinking it means another. And we're having this conversation. We think we're talking about the same thing, but we're actually completely talking about different things. And it ends up where we're like going in circles and getting frustrated with each other. And so one piece of advice I would give is just to be like, lay everything on the table, like say what you're thinking about, you know, what are you mentally picturing? What are the assumptions that you're making? And then get on the same page because, you know, if you're, you're a husband and wife, you're essentially a team. It's not your traditional team, but the definition of a team is two or more people who are interdependent and have a shared goal. And so if you treat it like that, like let's make sure that we come to a shared goal and then we can do this together. Otherwise, they might think they're, they have a shared goal, but in their mind, they have different schemas or assumptions or things. So that can also add the <laughs> extra layer of complexity. So we have different people with varying <laughs> goals, right? So we work a lot of folks who are married and the husband wants to keep the house. The wife doesn't want to keep the house. They want to start fresh or whatever else may be the case. So you have different goals. So you're saying lay everything on the table. Explain to your partner 
why you want to do whatever you think you want to do. Explain to them your concerns. Share with them your thoughts, right? And then are you kind of bartering on kind of what the next step is? Is it just a negotiation? Is it just, you know, help us understand what we can do to to move past just the, I want to keep it, they want to get rid yeah. of it, right? We're, we're at a crossroads. It is kind of like a bartering or negotiation situation because what's going to happen is if they don't come to agreement on what the goal is, then they're both going to be going in different directions and therefore they will never get where they're trying to go, which is the problem. And I see this a lot with founders that we work with. They have they start a company, they, they have ideas, but then their minds expand, different things happen. And eventually they have different mental visions of what the future might look like. They don't realize it. And then each one is going in a different direction and therefore it causes conflict and friction and they can't move forward. They're not making progress. So it really comes down to, can we get to a place where we both understand and agree with crystal clarity, like what it is we're trying to do here? If you don't have a shared goal, it's going to be so hard to get to a place where you're both happy. So that's the first step usually is, is coming to an agreement, whether it's yourself, you just have to figure out, like you said earlier, like, what is the goal? What am I going to do? When there's more than one person, though, you have to have that conversation with somebody else and make sure you're both on the exact same page. So, Nick, we, we talked about the decision inertia, uh -huh. but if someone is in that state of decision inertia, or decision avoidance for a significant amount of time, right? I know of a concept in psychology called decision fatigue, where like you are just basically, you have too many decisions to make and you just say, forget it, right? But what is like the mental health impact of being in that state of inertia or being in that state of like despair, for lack of a better word, for extended amounts of time? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it really nicely. It's as people, we like to think that we have this like infinite amount of energy and thought process available. But think about days when you're just like, for me, it's, it's writing. Like I write scientific papers. And at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, I just use my brain so hard all day. Like I can't even think anymore. And that's what happens is your brain is constantly processing information. Therefore, it's expending the resources that it's available and you get exhausted. You almost like reach a state of burnout. And so reminding yourself that, one, we have limited, finite set of resources, whether it's physical or cognitive. Every day, there's only so much you can get. That's why we go to sleep so we can rest and re-energize and get up the next day and have more space. But I think the key is to be easy on yourself. You know, sometimes I, I write all day and it's been only like six hours or eight hours. And I'm like, gosh, I have so much more work to do. Why can't I do it? You know, I'm so tired. It's like, well, you just literally like did the hardest work possible, like trying to come up with new information that doesn't exist in the world, not just like consuming information. And so people need to do a little bit of reflection and just, you know, cope positively and, and give space to realize that this is not an easy decision to make. This isn't an easy process. And you have to treat it like you would treat kind of like a work day, right? Like you want to be healthy. And if you're not healthy and you continue down this path, like it leads to burnout. So, you know, I tell the same thing for, for founders because they, they get mentally burnt out a lot, you know, because they're decision after decision after decision. And there's all sorts of things coming is that part of your job is to stay healthy, you know, like give yourself the sleep, the time to exercise. And when you do that, 
your brain functions better and it's easier to do those things. So it sounds kind of like maybe irrelevant to some people, but treat your brain like a muscle and give it time to, you know, recoup, feed it energy fuel that it needs. And so I think that's one way that you can kind of avoid that burnout, but it it absolutely happens. It's just, I mean, think about it. You're just constantly ruminating and thinking and they aren't usually positive thoughts. You know, you're thinking what could happen? Like what, what's the worst case scenario here? And that can really take a toll on somebody mentally. uh, It can lead to not only burnout, but like depression, anxiety, conflict in, in the family because they're irritable and they have very few resources to give emotionally. So it can lead to a lot of mental health issues. It's it's a little bit different for everybody, but that's the line you're going down. Absolutely. So there are two questions in that same vein that I want to kind of target on a little bit. One is a lot of times the folks who are in foreclosure are strapped financially, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have this financial weight that's on them along with the weight of all the things you just mentioned. You're snapping, you're you're stressed out, you have tons of decisions to make. A lot of times some folks may be sickly. So you have this comorbidity, for lack, of, for lack of a better term, of different things that are impacting you, right? What do you do when the worst happens? Like, and, and when I say the worst, it's somebody who wants to keep their home, they lose their home, it's sold, and now they're out on the street. What do you do when all the plans and all the dreams and all the aspirations get crushed. How do you bounce back from that? Like, you know, I know there's research on resiliency and there are things like that, but like help, help our listeners just really figure that out. Because unfortunately I've seen that happen and I don't know what to tell somebody in that situation besides, you know, tomorrow's going to be a better day. I mean, that is a great question. It's something I think about all the time. Cause I think, you know, I work with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs and, and it's a very similar situation. Like if they're, company fails, it's like the end of the world, right? Like their dreams are crushed. They're out of a lot of money. They, you know, they don't have the security you would have in a traditional job. And in that case, it's usually like, think about the bigger picture, right? No one who is successful has gotten there without some kind of major failure or disaster or anything. So it's just like one step along the way. And if you can turn it into a learning experience rather than a I suck, I failed, you know, everything's over. What can you do differently next time? And also recognize that you have a lot of agency and control over what happens next, which can be actually an opportunity sometimes. It might feel like it's, you know, terrible, but when one door closes, another opens. So it gives you space to think about like, what could be next? How can I do things differently? But the key is to remember that there's agency and control and that it's just one blip in the bigger part of your life. Like your life is full of different episodes and eras and chapters and things that happen. And this isn't going to be forever, right? Not forever. It's just, it sucks right now, but like, how can you learn from it and become a better person? You know, like my favorite story and probably overly used is, is the Michael Jordan, you know, he didn't get chosen on his high school varsity basketball team, but that didn't stop him. He could have stopped right there and said, "I'm, I'm not good enough, but turned a really terrible situation into something positive. So that's where, I mean, it's probably easier said than done. We've all been in situations and it's really hard to get out of that negative thinking loop. But if you can do it, 
it can empower you and, and help you. And I echo your sentiments there because the, the way I look at it is the situation sucks, but as long as you have breath in your lungs, as long mm-hmm. as you are healthy, as long as you can, you know, walk and talk and you have the will to change your situation or not let it happen again, you are in a great position, right? Because I know that there's somebody in a hospital room who has a prognosis that is, you know, life ending, who would trade places with you a thousand times over, right? And so, you know, I try to paint that perspective, although it sucks. The situation is terrible and it's not easy and it sucks, but that perspective of like, I'm alive, I'm well, the future is bright, that that mindset of, this sucks, but tomorrow's going to be a better day. I think it's so key. Yeah. And I always think about it a little bit cheesy, but coming from a statistical standpoint, like there's ups and downs. Nothing is constant forever, right? And if you have really bad times, the good times are even better. And so it gives you this, this perception or this perspective of you couldn't have good times if you didn't have the bad times, right? Because you would have nothing to compare it to. It'd just be like flat and boring all the time. So if you can think about it that way, too, that, you know, it's just inevitable in anybody's life. Nobody's life is like 100 percent perfect all the time and everything is rosy, regardless of whether it's a foreclosure or somebody's death or a divorce. There's always going to be something that takes us down. And it's just a matter of looking back and say, what can I learn from this and, and how can I do things differently in the future? Or how do I overcome this sadness or fear or doubt and become stronger? Absolutely. Well, leave it to leave it to Nikki to use statistics to to try to paint a, a rosier picture of of why I should be happy that things are going bad for me, right? Like, you know. So, but no, that leads us into like my favorite part of the podcast, which is called the bow tie round, of course. And in the bow tie round, our listeners get to tie one on with with our guest Nikki Blacksmith. So there are three questions that we ask in the bow tie round. The first is the B, and it is. What is your best piece of advice for someone who is, is facing foreclosure or in a, in a situation where they have some type of decision inertia, right? The next question is the O, which is one thing you are grateful for right now. And then the, the W, which is the last question, is your wildest or most interesting foreclosure-related story. Now, I know, Nikki, you don't do a lot in foreclosure. So if you don't have a foreclosure relationship, you can give us a good army story or or something like that. So let's go ahead and tie one on. So what's your best piece of advice for someone in foreclosure? So my best piece of advice, and I think about this a lot for myself, is for some reason, God knows what, I decided I was going to start my own company. And every day I wake up like, what in the world was I thinking? (laughs) Like, how am I going to do this? Like, this is the craziest thing you've ever decided to do. And you know, this is after having a PhD and a postdoc and like, it's just, it's so much uncertainty. There's ups and downs or crazy. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's every day you, you feel like a loser and failure <laughs> and those highs don't last very long. And so I, I kind of ask myself, like, what on earth are you doing? Like, and the way I look at it is I'm really challenging myself here to, to become, to do something I never thought I could do. If I go back to like my childhood, no way would I ever say I was going to start a company. <laughs> it was just like not something in my head. I don't know how I got here. I just saw a problem and I couldn't help myself. And I said, I got to solve this and, and started the company. But for me, it's a challenge. You know, it's a personal challenge. Like I'm going to surprise myself, you know, and it's going to be awesome. Like I'm going to look back and be like, whoa, you did that? Like, how did you do that? And for me, that's a 
different level of success, like versus, you know, I can get an A in this class or, or do this. But to me, it's like I've overcome this or I've survived this or, you know, it, it forces you to basically put a lot of confidence in yourself, basically, is what I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can do it and it will make you believe in yourself more and become stronger. And when you have confidence, there's a lot you can do that you never knew you could. Oh, no, that's phenomenal. And and I think that's something that no one can take away. That mm -hmm. that ability to say, I did this, right? Yep. I I navigated this journey. I got out this situation. I fought tooth and nail and I made it happen. I think that that there's a there's a, a resolute ownership that comes along with that that just stays with you. So I think that's really awesome. One thing that you're grateful for right now, you know, obviously I know you're grateful to be on this podcast, of course, but you know, like one thing, what else are you grateful for, right? So much. I think about this all the time and I'm so grateful for everything, just mostly. And this is so cliche, but like, I'm so grateful for my parents and my family and they've just been so supportive. But, you know, I had parents that never said, oh, you should do this or you should do that or become a lawyer, become a doctor. They were just like, what do you want to do and how do we support you to get there? And I am probably one of the few people you will ever meet that says, I love my job. I have the greatest life ever. Like, even though there's a lot of hard things, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. There's no regrets. But that was because they they left space for me to to make my own decisions, but also provided so much support along the way that like kept me going. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Kudos to your family, and your parents. So the the W, right? What's your wildest or most interesting story? So I wouldn't say it's interesting, maybe a little wild, but mostly just scary. <laughs> so I don't have any foreclosure stories, although I do have some housing stories if you're interested in those. But for me, like starting a company is, is very similar because there's no really good options all the time. Like there's a crap ton of financial stress. You know, there's unpredictability. There's risk. You know, it's really, really difficult. Again, Nikki, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you sharing your journey and sharing all your nuggets of wisdom. Please do me a favor and let our listeners know how to kind of get in contact with you, how to keep track of your journey, how to learn more about you and your organization. I think the easiest way is just find me on LinkedIn, Nikki Blacksmith. Connect with me, send me a message. We also have social media handles, but I'm not a huge social media fan. And so yeah. I'm just going to ignore that, even though probably my co-founders and my marketing people all kill me for it. But can you please let them know your company name? How about that? It is Blackhawk Behavior Science. And actually, you, your, your audience can be the first to know that we are actually changing our name. Um, and it is going to be Sumeta. So look out for that in the future. Sumeta Behavior Science. What that means is that we look at systems at a meta level. So a person is on a team, a team is inside an organization, the organization's inside of an ecosystem. And so we look at the way all of those function together. And, and that could be helpful for you too, you know, like mortgage and finance, they don't exist in a, a isolation, right? Like they're impacted by economy and the banks. And there's lots of different pieces moving around that influence the, the larger system. And when you understand the larger system, you're more likely to awesome awesome well nikki thank you again for being on our podcast today foreclosure fix family appreciate you listening in please do us a favor if you found value in this conversation today please like subscribe on your favorite platform or check us out at the foreclosurefixpodcast.com we appreciate you thank you so much and god bless
life. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.